Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It is the eighth of February, twenty twenty-three. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Thank you so much for including me in your day today. Check out what's happening at MyFaithRadio.com. Today's a great day to sign up uh, to read through the Bible together with us during the season of Lent. Um, It's also a great day to get all the information that you need um, for um, our upcoming Mm -hmm. Set Apart Conference. I was looking for the words. Set Apart Conference coming up soon and opportunity to register for that as well. So uh, great stuff at MyFaithRadio.com. If you've never visited us, today's a good day. So come on by. Your Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Romans chapter 12. We're going to read verses 9 and 10, but I commend the entire chapter to you uh, in terms of reading these verses in their context. But today, Romans 12, 9 and 10. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. So this is really all about sincerity, sincere love, like love sincerely. Nobody wants to be like fingers crossed behind my back loved. Like I don't want to be loved like that. I want to be genuinely loved. Um, Nobody wants Valentine's wishes that are compelled by everyone must give a Valentine to everyone else, right? I mean, do you remember doing that when you were a kid? Like, everyone must give a Valentine to everyone else in the class. And you were like, I don't even know all those people. I don't love them. I don't want to express love to them. I want my love to be genuine. I don't want pretend love. I'm going to open a Valentine from them and I'm going to know it's pretend love. They don't even know me. You can't love me unless you know me. And if you know me and love me, well, that's real love, right? Because if you knew me, you'd know all the reasons why you might not love me. Nobody wants pretend love. We want real love, enduring love, love that reflects what we know about love from God. I'm thinking here about 1 Corinthians 13. Like, we want love that believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We want love that never ends. And so... Let's love like that. Let's love other people like that. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Love them out of the love with which you have been loved by God in Christ Jesus. Love them out of the spirit of God that dwells within you. Love them against all odds and all enemies, foreign and domestic, right? Gather them in in love. Hold them in love. Defend them from harm with love, love with genuine affection. Take delight in lifting others up. If you um, have seen the images, sights and sounds emerging from the devastation caused by the earthquake and all of the many aftershocks from the initial quake on Monday morning, 
Um, if you if you've been paying any attention at all to those images out of Turkey and Syria, then you've seen some images of sincere love. A father refusing to let go of the lifeless hand of his child who died trapped beneath the crushing weight he could not move. A mother who gave birth to a child beneath, beneath the rubble, in her dying breath, she brought forth new life. Children crying out to anyone, anyone, who would hear and respond to the sound of their voices, and strangers digging with bare hands in freezing temperatures through feet of debris to extricate them and wipe away tears. The exultant shouts of joy that go up and then that are quickly drowned out again by the wails of sorrow for the tens of thousands lost. This is love in action, my friends. This is genuine love. This is a love that's not asking, I don't know, do I really know them? Are they really worthy of saving? I don't know. Did they do something bad yesterday or speak ill of me? I don't know. Should I love them? What would you do for those you love? Or maybe better asked, what wouldn't you do? What wouldn't you do for those you genuinely love? What worldly wealth or thing would you cling to? Or would you let go of to redeem the life of your child? Or your niece or your neighbor or your colleague or your friend or your fellow man? You see, I'm moving there through this list uh, and proximity gets further and further and further away from us or from those we consider our own. And so ask yourself, does my love grow more cold or more stingy or more hesitant as Carmen moves through that list? What wouldn't I give to redeem the life of my child? My niece, my neighbor, my colleague, my friend, my fellow man. Don't be stingy with love today. Let love be genuine. Let it flow freely. The love of Christ does not love some more than others. He doesn't sacrifice some uh, more or more than he sacrifices for others. Like he gives it all. He gives himself. He doesn't feel differently about the suffering of the people in Syria than the people of St. Paul, Minnesota. Let's not pretend to love today. Let's really love. Let's love like Christ and let's love as Christ. Let's allow the Holy Spirit of the living God to animate us today with the very real love of God. Yes, for you, but also through you to others. Be a conduit of the love of God today, a living demonstration of the gospel, a provisional exhibition of the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdoms of this world, a testament, a witness, proof positive that God is love. Let's put the gospel on display today by our love. Because indeed, they will know we are Christians by our love. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio.
Jeff Bilbro is back. He joins us from Grove City College and Front Porch Republic. You can read what he's writing at frontporchrepublic.com. Today, we're actually going to look at a piece that Jeff has written that I found at christianitytoday.com, Dying to the Indispensable Self. Jeff, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. All right. So, um, first of all, uh, Luke 9.23, what does it say, and how are you proposing that we should read it and understand it differently? Sure. This was a, a piece that uh, Christianity Today asked me to write as part of their kind of Lenten, uh, Lenten issue, thinking, you know, kind of guiding people through the Lenten journey toward Easter. And so the question they posed was, um, you know, what, what might we need to die to in order to, to be raised with Christ? And, um, yeah, so I, my mind went to, to Luke 9, where Christ says that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Um, you know, one of the many paradoxical statements that, that Jesus utters. And uh, in trying to think about how uh, it is that when we deny ourselves, um, we might have the opportunity to live with Christ. Uh, I thought of Walker Percy's little vignette in his um, Lost in the Cosmos, where where he talks about how um, he kind of wrestles with the burden and the fear of suicide. And many members of Percy's family committed suicide. He worried that it was kind of congenital, that he would be doomed to commit suicide himself. He really struggled with that uh, but he thought that maybe if um, we sort of entertain that possibility and decide not to, uh, if we become kind of what he calls an ex-suicide, um, we could be freed to live with gratitude and to, to receive life as a gift rather than endure it as a burden and something that we uh, we feel oppressed by. And I think his his ruminations on ex-suicide kind of fit with Christ's command to deny ourselves, to die to, to, die to this view of ourselves as indispensable or, or self, um, self-important and receive life yeah, as, a, as a gift that we don't earn, we don't deserve, but it's given to us. I think one of the things that you and, um, and Percy are both pointing to is the reality that although I might imagine that everything revolves around me, that I am the center of all things, that um, I am actually all important, that that's not true. Um, but I'm also not unimportant. Yeah. Um, and so can you can you maybe hold those two things in tension as well? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think. um recognizing that life's a gift and that we are not the center of the universe that God is, um, that should free us to uh, appreciate the gift of life and to embrace the opportunities that God gives us to uh, love others and serve others. And and it can free us from this kind of paralyzing burden that uh, it all depends on me and I have to work harder to accomplish more and, you know, change the world. And uh, when we get frustrated or thwarted in that, then we can feel worthless. And so I think recognizing um, that we're not the center and that life is a gift can actually paradoxically free us 
to um, to be grateful for it, to appreciate it, and, and to embrace the little ways that we can love our neighbors, um, to love those around us, and and to serve them without worrying about whether it's efficacious or uh, you know significant in some global sense. I had a conversation yesterday with somebody who I would uh, distinctly describe describe as type A, and I think the struggle that he is having is um, that is is somewhere right in here. This burden of imagining that it actually does all depend on him, um, that you know he's got to do it all. Um, and one of the things that your article reminded me, and I'm going to share this with him later today, um, like Jesus says to pick up your cross every day, but you don't have to pick up every cross and you don't have to pick yeah. up his cross. Like he has already shouldered the burden of all of this. Um, and so relying on what Christ has done and who Christ is relying on God, who's ultimately sovereign. Like some of this is like the right perspective on ourselves. Yes. We're to deny ourselves. Um, but there then is this turn and pick up your cross part. There's, there is this responsibility part. So it's not as if, you're not important at all. You are important. You are significant, but you're not ultimately the person upon whom all of this rests. Yeah. And your significance uh, comes from God. It doesn't come from what you accomplish or your achievements. Right. And, and so recognizing the source, I think, also frees us from from those paralyzing burdens. Yeah. And your significance co- comes from God who. Um, sees you and loves you and redeems you and just wants you to come to him and be you. Wow, that's yeah. so good. That's so good. Um, all right, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, will you um, unpack with me this piece that I read by um, Paul Kings North? Um, I know he's coming to be the speaker at the Water Dipper event on October 21st in Madison, Wisconsin. So I want to be sure people are aware of that. Um, can we talk about Watch the Great Fall? Absolutely. Yeah, I love this piece. All right, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. In what or in whom do you put your trust? Um, When you think of a future filled with hope, is that tied to a king, capital key, capital K, and a kingdom, um, the kingdom of God? Or is it tied to some temporal reality, maybe a nation state, maybe a political agenda, maybe uh, technological progress? Like, to what is your hope tied or tethered? Watch the Great Fall, Beyond Progress and Nostalgia, is a piece written by Paul Kingsnorth. Um, and we're going to discuss it now with our friend Jeff Bilbro from Grove City College. Um, what is uh, what what is Paul scratching at here in terms of his own tendencies and ours as well? Yeah, I think your way of framing the issue is, is quite apt, Carmen, that, you know, he is on the one hand acknowledging that his own tendency, his own predilection right now is to be nostalgic and to mourn the ways that uh, technological progress or globalism uh, is destroying things. And there's a kind of uh, habitual reactionaryism uh, that, that he finds. And he thinks that's 
that's fine to an extent, but it too can become a kind of idol that just like progress, whether political or technological or moral progress can become a kind of idol that, that we put our hope in. Um, so on the flip side can nostalgia for some previous uh, moment in history that too can become an idol. And uh, so he's trying to warn us against both of those and to, to put our hope yeah, in a kingdom that is not of this world. Um, and, and if we do that, then we can mourn the things that are lost and, and mourn uh, the, the damage while, um, as he puts it, yeah, watch the great fall and accept its reality, but then uh, get on with the work that we can do and um, not, not be paralyzed, but, but can, um, as he puts it, do the work of restoration and protection and building new structures um, as an act of hope for that coming kingdom. Um, this is about the things that we we can do, the things that we can look at uh, in the midst of wherever we are in terms of a particular nation's rise or fall. Um, and I think this is like an anti-Humpty Dumpty approach. Like yeah. if all the king's horses and all the king's men are just spending their time trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again, no one is ever um, positively building the future into which people can actually live. Like there's an impossible task of, uh, let's say, putting Alexandria back together again at this point. Um, and maybe the the earthquake in 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 Turkey and Syria, you know, as we're watching, uh, you know, a historic castle from generations past um, crumble to the earth. Like that's a good reminder that nations rise and fall, kingdoms rise and fall, individuals rise and fall. Um, but there is something enduring, and you and I ought to be busy as people who are um, about the king's work and the real kingdom. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and uh, you know, those castles and those kingdoms weren't perfect anyway, even though we might rightly mourn what's been lost. We shouldn't just try to recreate uh, some kind of idealized vision of what that was we should continue to um to try to serve and work toward uh god's eternal kingdom amen um all right so i i misspoke um before we went to the break and i called it the water dipper event because that's the way i think of it which is you know just because i love the water dipper as a part of front porch republic <laughs> but it's actually a front porch republic conference on october 21st in madison wisconsin can you tell us any more about that i'm I am going to figure out how to be there because I want to sit and listen to Paul King's North. Well, it would be great to meet you, Carmen. Um, but yes, we are making plans to gather in, in Madison that weekend. Uh, King's North has agreed to be there. We're just starting to put together the rest of the lineup and uh, the rest of the day's events. But hopefully we, we can put together a field trip to go out to Aldo Leopold Shack or some of the other local um sites in that area but we're looking forward to the, what usually is a, a great gathering of um local weirdos, just say it just say it yep. just say it all the people, all the weirdos people, who, people like us care about place. Mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and it's uh mm -hmm. it's a lot of fun yeah it sounds fantastic so um even though i don't live in madison wisconsin i speak to people in madison wisconsin every day exactly. and so do you when you come and join us and so um yeah so october 21 Madison, Wisconsin, Front Porch Republic, a conference. Um, I just think that we should 
uh, we should be there. So thank you for being with us, Jeff. We love visiting with you. Um, Thank you so much for what you're doing and um, the conversations that you bring to us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Carmen. There's a couple of great things on the Water Dipper that you don't want to miss. I will uh, connect them in the show notes today. What the culture wars get wrong and stream off. Um, two really good pieces that I don't want you to miss. So I'll put them in the show notes today as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Lots of you on the text line um, this morning. Thank you um, so much for um, for your thoughts, reflections, just for being here. The number is 877-933-2484. Let me quickly address um, one note here. Uh, a friend of the, of the show who texts in on a regular basis has a friend who is from Egypt and knows a lot of people in the quake zone. Um, and they're talking about um, hearing... You know, hearing word from um, from the ground there that when when those who are searching for the living among the rubble, uh, when they have seen a Bible, uh, they pass over that point. The workers do not try to um, help extricate those people because they um, they anticipate that it would be Christians who would live there. Let me offer a little perspective on that. Um, The Christians are going to wake up with Jesus. The Christians who have died in this earthquake, the Christians who die in any other way today, are going to wake up with Jesus. Those who are not yet Christians, um, we got to get close to the fire that they might be snatched out. In this case, we got to get close to the rubble pile that they might be snatched out, that God might yet reach them with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because they're not going to wake up with him if they die here in their sins. Um, that might sound really judgmental. That might sound really hard and harsh to those of you who say we ought to be trying to pull the Christians out of the rubble. Well, the Christians are not lost. Though they die, yet shall they live. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. We put our hope in him. It's not just people that rise and fall or nations that rise or fall. It's a matter of life and death. Though the Christian die, yet shall they live. Where are you going to get close enough to the fire today to snatch someone out who might yet be saved? That's the evangelical question of the day. Good morning, my friends. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. We are going to turn our attention to what is happening not only in Turkey and Syria, where the confirmed death toll has now surpassed 11,000 But we're also going to turn to other concerns around the world. Ruth Kramer joins us next from Mission Network News. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Ruth Kramer is joining us from Mission Network News. You can find what we're talking about today at missionnews.org. Um, Ruth, welcome back. Good morning. Good morning. Let's, um, let's talk about what you are hearing from your partners in the region affected by um, not only the first earthquake, but the subsequent quakes that have followed. I know you have 
been talking with a number of partners in the region. We would just love an overview of what you're hearing from them. Well, you guys are hearing like the big picture of what we're hearing. You know, the death toll is massive. This is one of the deadliest quakes, I think, so far this century um, based on how many areas that it hit and what time of day it hit. Um, all of the things that are happening just combined to kind of make it a, a perfect storm of a, a huge disaster. Um, unfortunately, the loss of life has hit several of our partners. Um, we were speaking with FMI in minutes after we got the the news alert on late Sunday night Eastern time about this quake, and they were already hearing from uh, the network of pastors that they work with in Turkey about what was happening. Um, among the different the different um, stories that are coming in, I think this one just this this just sort of tugs at your heart. Um, Pastor Hakan Konor and his wife Pola um, were in their home when it collapsed. Their son, their young son Yoel, uh, about eight years old. Um, rescuers actually were able to pull the son from the rubble. He did survive. He is injured, but his mother and father have both been killed. So now mm-hmm. he's an orphan, and that's just one small picture, a microcosm of what is happening across the board when you hear about these massive death tolls. Um, it it hurts to talk about it because you know the grief and the suffering that is yet to come. Um, I heard what you were saying earlier with, you know, when 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 believers are trapped in the rubble and they they die, they're with their Lord. So there's that that hope that takes away the sting of death. But as we think about children that are left, mm-hmm. that survive, like Yoel, um, their life ahead of them is going to be very difficult and there's grief and pain and sorrow. So we need to be praying for those that survive, for the churches that are going to be coming around um, the, the the survivors to try to answer and meet some of the needs, for comfort for the hearts of those who are now bereft, uh, waking up to a new normal. Um, there are good stories too. Um, FMI was telling us that uh, two pastors that were being prayed over or prayed for in the early hours of the quake have been found. Pastor Mehmet and uh, Denise have been found. And so those those are good news stories. Um, I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more things in the days to come about rescues and people who survived for hours trapped under the rubble. Um, there's It's a complicated story just because there's so many levels of of things to be dealing with. Um, it's it's complicated because of the weather conditions, because of the difficulty of trying to work in near freezing temperatures, and you're racing against time to uh, meet the survivors before the environmental conditions um, uh, claim them. A lot of the organizations that have networks on the ground are mobilized, and they're trying to get the aid to start flowing into the region. This has become uh, somewhat complicated because of what Turkey has been doing with uh, Christian organizations and with foreign um, expats. They've been kicking them out of the country. They've been denying visas. So getting things back in, uh, kind of getting the rhythm of a network that was already in place together again when the government has been disrupting that flow is going to take a little bit more time, but it is already starting. So organizations like Transworld Radio, FMI, uh, World Mission, 
um, Christian Aid Mission, they're already going in there. Horizons International, because of where they were working with the uh, the Lebanon, well, they're in Lebanon because of where they were working with the Syrian refugees. They're also nearby, so they are going to be sending some teams in to respond to some of those needs as well. Because as you you were well aware, the quake didn't just hit Turkey; it hit mm-hmm. six other countries. So there are a lot of needs that are already pressuring a uh, network that has been spread thin dealing with the crisis in Lebanon and in Syria. Um, there's a lot thing, a lot of things that we can be praying about with this. Uh, pray for the victims who are trapped in the collapsed buildings. Um, ask God to, to protect the rescue workers in this very dangerous work situation uh, as they are trying to rescue the victims from their entombment. Um, pray for the families, uh, those who've died or been injured and those who've lost their homes and livelihoods. Um, pray that they would feel God's comfort and protection and provision for those who've been profoundly traumatized. Um, for ministry friends and other believers who are trying to find ways to aid the survivors, ask God to take care of them, strengthen them through the ordeal, um, and may may they radiate the love and peace of Christ as they ministered to a hurting nation. This is an opportune time for the believers to change the narrative of this narrative of the story. Um, the government has been very anti-Christian, and this is an opportunity to remind them that the Christians are not the threat. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's so good. I had um, I had thought, Ruth, uh, you know, how could we have a conversation about the opportunity for the gospel that um, is now present in ways that, um, you know, that were not true even a week ago, and yet even in saying that, you know, I hesitated because I'm like, oh, I don't know, can I can I even turn to that conversation? But I do think that's that's the right perspective. Like God is going to use this um, as an opportunity to get himself glory and to turn hearts and minds to himself. Um, I don't I don't pretend to know how that all works. But um, but when people come to the end of themselves they look for the God who is real and offers real hope and substantial hope and one that's not fleeting. And um, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the reality of salvation. And so I'm so grateful for ministries that are on the ground. I appreciate your connecting us with them. If you're listening right now and you want to connect with the ministries that Ruth has um, has shared with us this morning and others as well, you can do that through links that are available to you um, in the articles at Mission Network News, and you can find those um, through the links in today's show notes or just go directly to missionnews.org. The lead article right now is Turkish Christian Media Group. Please pray for us. Um, Do you want to read us in on on that, what's happening um, with the media ministry that has lost its ability to, um, to transmit? Well, that's a partner with Transworld Radio, and uh, they have a team on the ground in Turkey, obviously. The, the, the antenna was damaged. The radio station has been damaged. They're off the air right now. Um, so we can be continue to, to pray as they try to figure out how they're going to get back on the air, because radio is a primary source right now of information, of comfort, of so many things uh, where other 
media isn't going to be available uh, to the survivors of the of the quake. Um, right now, I don't really know what they're going to be able to do because uh, you know the the primary issues of getting electricity back to the areas is not as high as rescuing the, sur- the survivors in the quake. Um, right. It'll be a few days yet before we know exactly what's going to be happening. I know that they're working with Transold Radio to help navigate the uh, the situation, um, give them some direction. So as TWR sends aid uh, in through the, the various network channels that they have, um, this partner on the ground is going to help direct that. But they're, they're still trying to find their footing right now. All right. I want to have a conversation um, about what's going on in in Pakistan related to new blasphemy laws. When I think about, you know, the the command um, of Christians to be sharing the gospel and making disciples, um, you know, I just recognize that we very quickly run up against the challenge of blasphemy laws um, and, you know, laws that prohibit us from clearly articulating a saving faith that would require conversion from one religion, um, you know, to another might be a way of describing that. So can you read us in on what's happening in Pakistan and how believers there are responding? Yeah, um, this was something I think that it felt like it slipped under our radar. Um, And I think that's, that was the intent. Because anytime you have a strengthening of a blasphemy law, the uh, the watchdog groups, uh, global watchdog groups would kind of raise the hue and cry on it. Um, to bring attention to it and put pressure on the country to uh, either delay it or shift it or do something else besides pass it. Um, The Pakistan National Assembly actually passed this legislation January 17th, and we just found out about it. Um, So this is something that is uh, likely to expand the statutes that already exist. It concerns Christians because uh, it'll increase punishment for... um, a lot of different things. It's written very loosely. It means that uh, it can be interpreted widely because it is written so loosely. Um, this is a situation where it uh, removes the option of bail for blasphemy charges and increases the minimum prison sentence considerably. Um, so there are concerns there. It's you know you have issues with um, ID cards already, and that would be uh, covered by this new expansion of the uh, the blasphemy law, uh, the kinds of things that can be done to you because your national ID card um, isn't of the right, doesn't identify you as being part of the right faith, uh, could be very problematic for Christians. Already food is being denied because of that. This could actually add to that where uh, a lot more food aid will be denied, like rations will be cut and that kind of thing. Um, this is a concern again because uh, obviously, Christians are already on the lowest rung of the uh, system in Pakistan. They are barely considered to be Pakistani. And when you have that on top of, let's say, a woman or maybe a widow, um, the likelihood that they could be pushed out of the system altogether is is extremely high. At the same time, uh, friends of ours, you know, through the different ministries are telling us that this is an opportunity for Christians to practice some radical kindness. Um, one of the partners from FMI was telling us that um, this was exemplified recently with a, an elderly Muslim woman. Um, she'd waited in line for her flower um, and then um, she didn't really get her ration 
not to the degree that it was supposed to be, and it wasn't enough to sustain life. And a Christian family was nearby and, and watched what was happening there. They took care of her, and they said, we're going to give you our flower because um, you need it. You need help. And um, the, just the sacrificial love that they exemplified for this woman speaks volumes to the community at large. It also says that these people follow uh, a savior that is not what the narrative has been uh, described, as the narrative has been described. Um, and there are, that leads to gospel conversations. It leads to mm-hmm. a lot of opportunities. Even though the persecution issue is so extreme in Pakistan, and this, this blasphemy law is likely to increase that even more, um, believers are still not being silenced. They're not being intimidated into silence. They're still living as Christ's hands and feet. So be praying for them because they also need wisdom. Um, they need to be bold. And, you know, if you put yourself in their situation, uh, you know, what cows your heart? We can be mm. praying against that for them. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. We're going to continue our conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find what we're talking about and lots of other stories about what Christian believers are engaged in around the world at missionnews.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Life is short, I want to live it well One life, one story to tell Life is short, I want to live it The International Religious Freedom Summit is underway this week in Washington, D.C. We're going to bring you news um, from that in the days to come. Um, right now we're talking with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News about uh, the experience of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, um, what they not only experience, but the ministry in which they are actively engaged. And so, Ruth, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, refugees and the importance of the first nine to 12 months in terms of reaching refugees uh, for Christ. Well, obviously, in the first uh, disaster on uh, the first part of the first few months of the crisis, they're just in shock um, and meeting their needs with uh, just having a listening ear, taking the time to develop relationship with them um, and grieve with them, you know, mourn with those who who, who weep, um, uh, walk with them in their loss, um, allows you, earns you the right and the space to be talking about other things. And I think that takes a number of months to be able to have those conversations. Sometimes they happen a little bit more immediately. Um, But when you're having to rebuild an entire community that's been leveled by a disaster, um, you know, after you've established that they have survived the crisis, uh, now you've got to figure out how they're going to have housing 
or um, food and water and medicine and what they need to have in order to be able to survive a maybe winter season or a brutal summer. And those things need to get on the ground and, and in place. Um, which also takes time. Then that's why the networks that are already in place with so many Christian organizations are important because they can fast track that. They can often respond much more quickly than the government can, um, which, by the way, the government of uh, Turkey is being harshly criticized right now because their response has been so slow. Um, and other aid organizations, other NGOs are responding much more quickly. Um, so, it, you know, within a couple of months, you get uh, a basically a tent city that gets uh, set up and you start uh, kind of clearing out the the sites to see what is available to salvage for homes, whether or not safe to do so um, or, or start rebuilding. Uh, a lot of those kinds of things have to be taken into consideration. Um Clean water sources. You've got to figure out: is it safe to, you know, are there current sources of water uh, safe to drink, or do you need to maybe look into d- drilling a new well? What kind of things need to be happening to support those things? What kind of infrastructure is remaining after a major disaster? And sometimes uh, other things get overlooked, like schools. Um, in the Syrian refugee crisis, one of the things that came to the surface much more quickly on uh, the radar of the Christian organizations that were responding to the Syrian refugee crisis in neighboring countries was that the kids were not having um, any education. They weren't continuing their education. Uh, as they were looking at uh, the things down the line with uh, so many babies being born in the refugee camps, the reality was you're going to have a whole generation that has been uneducated. And how are you ever going to come back from that? Um, So they started things like tent schools, mobile schools, schools, uh, you know, obviously uh, where you have teachers coming into these areas, coming in with the materials or um, uh, schools on wheels or anything that you can bring an education source to a group of children and start teaching them something so they're not completely left wrong-footed once the crisis lifts, if it ever does. So by now, you got to remember that this crisis for the Syrian refugees, for some of them, has been going on for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And some of those kids have been born in the refugee camps, and they're not legally allowed to go to school in Lebanon. So if you don't head this off at the pass, what's going to happen to Syria down the line? And what we have also found is that um, in the refugee camps, if you don't provide some kind of education or give these kids some kind of hope for the future outside of the spiritual realm, they are prime pickings for the extremists that come into the camps and start recruiting from the refugees, from the kids that are refugees, because they keep telling them there's no hope. You're, there's no way you're ever going to get a job. You can't read. You know. So if you come fight for us, we're going to take care of your families. And that is how the extremists typically will handle recruiting from the refugee camps. So this is one of those things that the secular aid or uh, aid world, I should say, uh, didn't cotton on to real quick. Um, and by the time they did and realized it was actually a crisis, they started turning to some of the Christian organizations that were doing it well, handling schools and and providing curriculum and things like that, and started partnering with them because the Christians had already done it. The Christians were already there, 
and they just needed more resourcing. And then the government could come in underneath that and kind of help them move forward with that. Now, that that was a situation in the Syrian refugee crisis uh, where we saw you know, some um, uh, government officials take interest in things that Sat7 was doing for satellite television programming. You know, the Sat7 school for kids, um, Tent Schools International was in there. Almost every Christian organization that was dealing in the refugee crisis in Syria, the Syrian refugee crisis, came up with a way to provide an education and certify it. Um, this has been fairly true in a lot of other situations where you've seen things like the Myanmar refugees, uh, the the refugees in the Karin, um, where you have organizations that are coming in, trying to work with the the the, uh, the systems that are in place to provide other things like trauma counseling. Um, right. People kind of overlook the trauma counseling and needs that that exist there, and because of what they're doing. People come to them and say, what makes you guys different? Why are you offering this and not demanding that we we convert immediately? And that opens the door for some you know, gospel conversations. As a result, every time you see believers involved with trying to help these refugees find a normal, find an identity, let them know they've been seen, um, you see people turning their hearts over to this God who's so full of love that it leaks out through his people. And then you see churches being born. You see new bodies being started. And that has been true across the board. You see that in the refugee camps that we see all dotted throughout uh, the North Africa region, uh, throughout uh, South Asia, and obviously in the Middle East. So um, that is one thing that is is amazing about uh, the peace that passes understanding. When you're dealing with crisis, that shines brightly. Amen. Ruth, as always, thank you so much um, for joining us and continuing to bring us um, the good news from really hard places. Um, You can find what Ruth is writing about and all of the stories that they're covering at missionnews.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do next? Um, we're going to talk, we're going to have a couple of conversations, but one of the things I'm going to address is the State of the Union last night. Um, we're going to unpack that. Uh, there were some great lines in there that provide opportunity for us as Christians in the culture today. And then we'll do a science roundup with Heather Zeiger. One of the things she and I are going to talk about, like, just because we can resurrect some extinct species, like, should we? How do you feel about the dodo bird? I feel like if we're going to resurrect some extinct species, maybe not the dodo bird? I don't know. That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.